This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Having been relegated from the Premier League last season, Burnley have found good company with Vincent this time around. Top of the table in the Championship with a return to the top flight, certainly on the cards. I'll be joined by Burnley fan and sports writer Will Lancaster to discuss Saturday's FA Cup quads final at the Etihad Stadium. I'm Amos Murphy and this is the City Report podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Welcome, Will. Writer across a number of Reach PLC's national and local brands, but most importantly, a massive Burnley fan. Um, full disclaimer, you and I uh, are very good mates. We go back a, a little bit. We've known each other from university. So unlike most opposition previews, I'm already clued up on your background as a fan. But quick introduction to yourself. It sounds a little bit like a speed date, but um, who are you? What do you do? Uh, I'm Will Lancaster. Um, like Amos, I went to UCFB from 2018 to 2021. Uh, I did a year at the Daily Express upon leaving university, uh, and I currently write for the Scottish publications such as Daily Record, Football Scotland, uh, Scottish Daily Express, and Glasgow Live. Bit of fitball. Um, you're obviously a Burnley fan. It's, I find it interesting because your dad is an Everton fan and I assume this is the first time possibly in your lifetime he's looking over with a, a little tinge of jealousy at the Clarets. Well yeah last season was even more so I think it was us two in Leeds uh, with the last two games of the season and they had that <clears throat> excuse me they had that 2-0 down at half time at home to Palace that they turned round while we couldn't get a win at Villa which basically made them not in the conversation on the final day so uh yeah, it's especially with Sean Dyche as manager and McNeil and Tarkovsky in the team as well. It's just bizarre. <laughs> um, 
I used to be an Everton fan as a kid. That's a little secret that not many people Ooh. know. Uh, obviously, your dad buys you your kits and all that sort of stuff. But once I got to sort of year seven, year eight age, and all my mates that you hear out there going to the football and stuff, I thought, because I live in North Yorkshire, Everton's on Merseyside, I'm not really going to watch the football. So went with my granddad to watch the Clarets, which was a downgrade at the time. This wasn't premeditated. Uh, and now it's kind of paid off to be an all right decision. Yeah, I can't imagine a, a Royal Deitch pub being opened in Toxa for Nosley or something like that. Um, let's get on to football then, because obviously Saturday, big game, big game for both clubs. Um, we'll get on to the match itself shortly. I just want to start with a quick look at Burnley's season so far. Plenty will have heard about Burnley doing well, obviously, through the, through the Vincent Company connection, but not many would have sort of necessarily seen Burnley play so much what is it exactly about Vincent Company that his arrival has sparked such a change for Burnley it's the best way I can describe it is pet ball light like it's it's such a transformation from last season obviously Sean Dyche does have his perks um but the majority is you know four four two hard work I saw an Everton fan on Twitter this morning saying it's like squeezing juice out of an orange that's already been in the juicer with Sean Dyche. So the work ethic of, of the core of the club is still there. You've still got you know, Jack Cork, uh, Ash, <clears throat> Ashley Barnes, Josh Brownhill, Charlie Taylor, who know what the mantra of, of being a Burnley player was. The difference being that company has sold 70 millions worth of players and brought in around 35, 40 millions worth, if you include the January transfer window, to basically take the clean slate that with, you know, over 10, 11 players leaving in the summer and just padding out the exact sort of squad that he wants. Um, so when when it was the first game of the season, we had Huddersfield away. And we'd heard rumours of, obviously, his time at Anderlecht that, you know, he likes to play on the deck. He likes to, you know... 60 plus percent possession and it's something that we hadn't been used to for some time but the the sheer like awe that Burnley's fans were in that first game one one nil but 70 percent possession keeper Muric used to play for for City just pinging it around nothing that Nick Pope can do as you've seen especially with that penalty well what should have been a penalty decision against Wolves at the weekend um midfield players taking it on the turn even Ashley Barnes was digging out a few 40-yard passes. So it's been massively surprising to us. Um, and again, I remember having a conversation with you at the start of the season on what was expected of Burnley this season. Famously, I'm not getting, <laughs> letting you get away with that one. You said our oh, playoffs would be, it'd be a good, solid season. Um, I said we'd get playoffs, but I didn't think it would go. I don't, no one in Burnley thought it would go this well. Yeah, well, actually, you've done me. You've done me a little bit uh, better than than what I actually said because I said twelve to playoffs would have been a good season. Um, and, and to be honest, it was actually my next point. I was fully hands up. I was going to bring it up, but I did say at the start of the season I expected that Burnley would struggle a little bit because having followed Company and Alex that first season. I'd like it like it has been with Pep Guardiola um, and, and Mikel Arteta, though, you, that sort of same sort of textbook manager. It is very it is very transitional. You're getting a lot of players in, you're getting a lot of players out. And I was I've actually you know fully hands up, been been incredibly impressed with company at Burnley. Um, 
part of that is there's an awful lot of talent in there. However, the caveat is so many of those players are on loan. Nathan Teller, Ian Matson, Harwood Bellis, obviously from, from City himself. How key have those loan players been? And, and second part to that question, is there sort of a cloud hanging over this season when you inevitably get promoted to the Premier League next season? There's going to be another rebuild that's needed. Um, they, to answer your first question, they're the most vital players at the club, I think. Um, Ian Matson was out for uh, a number of games at the start of the season for a red card. Um, he suffered a little bit of injury here and there against Huddersfield three weeks ago. I think he popped his shoulder out. It wasn't too, too serious, but he's one of those proper... The, the new breed of, of dynamic fullbacks like your Jao Cancelo, even you know Kyle Walker and Rico Lewis to an extent where they, they almost play Zinchenko as another one, where they play almost as like a, a left-sided centre mid when he's meant to be playing left-back. Charlie Taylor, as much as I like him and he's a traditional fullback, just can't do that. And you really notice that when he's out of the team. Um, obviously, yeah, Nathan Teller as well. Sort of came in thinking he was going to be this winger in the in the Aaron Lennon mould, can take players on, thinking across. But as time's got on, he's become more of a play off the shoulder of Ashley Barnes, kind of converted himself into a striker and taken us all by surprise in terms of he's not an out and out winger anymore. He's that beating your last man, one of the quickest players I've ever seen at Turf Moor, and by all surprises, he can finish. Um, two centre halves as well. You've got Jordan Bayer from Gladbach, who is who's been nicknamed not just by myself, but others across Turf more as Beckham Bayer due to his German nature. <laughs> um, it's unsure as to how much his release. We've we've got like a, an option to buy, if you will. Sources range from four million to fifteen million. So, but I think the club are are going to attempt to at least go in for him. It might be an obligation. I'm not too sure on that one. Uh, and Howard Bellis himself, who was injured just after the new year, but he was firmly in our team of the season. Um, we brought in two centre halves in January to replace him. He was out for like he should be back around this time now. But uh, we've got we've had Hjalmar uh, Ekdal uh, from Geo Gardens in Sweden, who's coming and been absolutely seamless in transition. So to answer your second question. Um, Howard Bellis is the perfect example because whilst he has been was exceptional for us in the first half of the season. I think he was our only ever present until he got injured. If he's not going to sign for the club for, for next season when, when promotion is likely achieved, um, there's like sort of a need to not become over-reliant on loan players. Bayer's one of them who I think the club will sign. Uh, and Ian Matson as well. I do think the club will go in for him. Obviously, Chelsea have got Mark Kukurea, Ben Chilwell, even Lewis Hall, who can play at left-back. Uh, Nathan Teller as well. It'll, I think that'll depend on if Southampton are relegated. Um, I remember Nathan Jones, the nomad, saying, oh, we've, we don't need him because Adam Armstrong's in our team and he did well in the Championship and he sort of failed in the Premier League. So, if anything, that just pushed Teller even more close to a move to Turf Moor. But in terms of next season... And the, and the dark cloud you mentioned. Um, I don't think it's that dark of a cloud. I think if you can bring Bayer, Teller and Matson in, uh, we've also got Halil Dervizoglu, who's on loan from Brentford, but he hasn't really pulled up any trees. Um, if we can 
you know, arrange those sort of three deals. You're only really looking at Harwood Bellis, who we've coped without. Obviously, the, the caveat to that is if Matson, Teller and, and Bayer don't sign. But Vincent Company this, this summer had the biggest pull in the league by, by quite some stretch, as you can see with the 16 players that he's brought into the club. Uh, and with the Premier League budget or close to next season, financially dependent, uh, I'm sure that he'll be able to fill those, fill those holes you know, correctly. Yeah, it, it certainly is interesting because there's news just this week um, regarding Harwood Bellis and, and apparently City will offer him a new contract before deciding where he plays next season. And I'm just looking at some of his underlying numbers now on, on FB ref and, you know, he's he's in the top 4% of all centre-backs for progressive passes. So you can certainly see there's, there's the mould there. Um, I, I don't think any City supporter would be sort of steadfast in their honesty if they said that he's going to make it at City I think you know that, that ship has probably sailed so it's fantastic to see him in flourishing in Lancashire with the Clarets um, I don't I don't, want to, I don't want to be doom mongering too much because obviously Burnley having a fantastic season but with company obviously I, again some some uh, news this week or some comments from Guardiola suggesting that he is the heir to, to Guardiola's throne at Manchester City and even going back to the World Cup there was talks about him potentially jumping ship and, and taking Taking the, the the Belgian manager, obviously, I think everyone knows he's going to see out the season, probably see out next season, maybe maybe even the season after that. But is there a sort of a fear for the first time in a long time? Obviously, I say that though because Deitch had plenty of suitors, but Deitch Burnley felt like a, a match made in heaven with company. Mm-hmm. It does feel like one day the day will come where he does leave. Is it about building up that foundation so that you can go and be a team like potentially Bournemouth were 10 years ago where you can establish yourself in the Premier League again and not be to become like, I don't know, a West Brom where it's up and down in the Championship and Premier League? Yeah, I've, I've said to like my Burnley supporting mates and anyone that I sort of talk about on the on the matter that I'd go for, for like a, a Brentford medium-term blueprint and Brighton as the long-term, whereas, say... Like perfect example, Graham Potter went to Chelsea, Brighton have brought in De Zerbian at the start, people are like, who's this guy? And they've gone on to actually become better under him. So it's it's not really a fear because I know that he'll see this season out and he'll probably see out the next. I think there's that looming 2025, is it? Pep Guardiola's out of contract. I think <clears throat> I think that's when they'll, the, the changeover will happen. I think he will go to City. The one... Disappointing thing for me would be if companies sort of a bit naive in himself and say Conte leaves at the end of the season and Spurs mm. come in for him. If he's already golden past his way to the City job um, and then jumps in for that, it'll sort of feel like what Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard did. Like, you know, a highly praised young manager who had like degrees of Premier League success um, that sort of jumps at the first big job that comes in. I feel like company's too smart for that. Well, I hope so anyway. I don't know if it's blind faith. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's not really that much of a fear at the club that that's going to happen at the minute. I do know that obviously he is destined for bigger and better things, but hope, hopefully with that, with him increasing his reputation, there's more of the, he's going to drag us up to that level and leave us in, in good stead so that we're not perilously looking at the drop zone the season after. So in the similar sense that Brighton are now, you know, they're, they're on what, 40, 40 plus points, 39, something like that. Um, and there doesn't feel like there's really been that much of a change within their season. Um, so that that's, that's kind of the realistic 
ambition that I, I would like to happen. Yes, certainly. I think we've seen the season with Fulham, with Brighton, with Brentford. There's there's a gap in the market for sort of middling teams to go and, as as Deitch did admittedly with Burnley a couple of years ago, and, and get into Europe. So I hope, Vincent, I hope he sticks around. Um, perhaps maybe one thing that could shun him out the door. And there seems to be something with Vincent Company and, and, and signing for a team or, or managing a team with off-field problems. Obviously, cities have, have been very well documented in the last few weeks. Anderlecht's had a number of problems whilst he's at the club. I think the, the Belgian police once raided their offices for, for some sort of financial irregular, irregularities. And then, obviously, this week, um, news just sort of out of the blue that Burnley have been handed a transfer embargo. The club obviously did the usual press release, very disappointed. We'll, we'll contest it etc um what's the lowdown with that um so it's not as serious as people making out or, or what that's what we're being led to believe uh so sunday i'm, I'm sat in bed like watching netflix and then all of a sudden i get this text oh, have you seen the club website because they haven't posted it or they hadn't until this morning to, to my prior knowledge um burnley just updated the club website with club statement the usual corner flag uh, picture. Uh, essentially, what it is is each club by the first of March in the EFL has to submit an estimated profit and loss account balance sheet for the relevant year. Um, and Burnley haven't done that. Now, the takeover that Burnley had was well documented when relegation was suffered last season. You had the likes of Simon Jordan, uh, Kieran Maguire, the the Price of Football podcast, sort of predicting Burnley's doom and gloom. Um, in terms of doing a Sunderland, in terms of doing a Portsmouth, a Blackburn, um, it's the statement. Once you delve into it, it's not as it's not as bad as what is made out to be. Um, the club say that a change of auditors in November was because we had a sixty-five million pound loan that was that had to be paid uh, almost immediately upon the event of relegation. Um, obviously, with, the, with Burnley doing so well. The club have refinanced that deal to sort of what, what I would imagine, let's say they did 35 million there and then through profits from transfer sales. And then with Premier League promotion looking so likely, sort of use it as like a, a stand from that. Um, the reason was it there was a late submission. Uh, the change of auditors for that refinance deal was in November. Um, <clears throat> but change has always been part of the plan since the since ALK Capital, who are the new owners, uh, came into play. So it's nothing serious from what I'm led to believe. The fans and the club expect it to be resolved next month when Burnley can update their financial accounts. Uh, I read something this morning that the Athletics say the team were informed way before the weekend uh, and the AFL were set to publish the statement on, on Monday morning. <clears throat> so Burnley fan, sorry, the club, uh, reacted to that on Sunday evening more as like uh, this is what's going to come out in the press don't be afraid instead of the EFL putting out their statement and, and reacting they've said like, oh trust me we're not in, we're not doing anything wrong here so for that reason um, again, again Sheffield United and Huddersfield have also been brandished with the same punishment so far this season and nothing's happened to them so it is minor although it does sort of raise a little bit of oh god here we go again yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And I guess finally on that point, then, 
promotion is quite important, isn't it, in that sense? Not only sort of the immediate short term with this transfer embargo, whatever, but also down the line. Because it, it, I think there was a lot of people fearing for Burnley's sort of survival and, and certainly thinking, you know, if they didn't get things right with the managerial appointment, um, obviously Michael Jackson took, Michael Jackson, what a name, took interim <laughs> charge um, at the end of the Premier League season. So, so there was a sense of like, okay, things could go really bad here. It's sort of incredible. What are we mid-March to look at the situation Burnley are in? Champions elect in the championship, almost planning in spring for a Premier League campaign next year. Yeah, even in January there was there was forward planning. Um, I think the highest we've been is about seventeen points. Sorry, twenty points clear of third place, which was sort of mid-February. Um, we've had a couple of draws in that time and Middlesbrough doing really well under Michael Carrick. So that's, that's dropped to, I say, just 17. <laughs> but yeah, in, in January, I think we were like 14 to 20 points ahead at some point. So the the idea was that to bring in the, the summer signings that had been earmarked, uh, sorry, for the upcoming uh, summer transfer window with the Premier League in mind, if you go to a player and say, look, we are definitely going to be in the Premier League next year and you now have six months to bed in, it's sort of perfect, really. So, like I say, Ekdal, uh, the centre-half, who replaced Howard Bellis, he's come in and fits seamlessly. Obafemi from Swansea, who previously was, um, like last season especially, was a top championship striker. I think he got 15 goals, but started this season... Burnley put a bid in for him, which was rejected, and he and he threw his toys out the pram just just to come here. So uh, Lyle Foster as well, he was a eight million pound signing from the Belgian league, and whilst he started off maybe not so well, he scored his first goal with a real thunderous volley at the weekend. So it's, it was weird. It's almost like unprecedented. You've never seen it before that teams are starting to prepare in January for a Premier League return. Um, yeah, it's all been a bit bizarre. Like I think we beat Blackburn, which is our local derby, the game before the World Cup, um, and we only, I think, we, yeah, we won ten ten in a row. We only dropped points to Watford about this time last month, which that thirty points out of thirty just has set us apart from the rest. Even Sheffield United, who by you know by far and large are, are a good side, have sort of tailed off in the last couple of games, and that's just essentially. I don't want to tempt fate because I know this will come back to bite me and you'll be all over me when I say this, but 13 points clear of second place with ten with 30 to play for. It's, it's looking like it's in the bag, you'd, you'd think. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. Reminder, if you haven't already, please hit subscribe, hit follow on whatever podcast platform you are listening along on. If you could also leave a rating and a review, that'd be fantastic. There's a whole host of episodes you can go back and listen to after this one. But let's move on to the match itself on Saturday. I'm I'm really interested in this game. And I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this about a game against Burnley because traditionally uh, City-Burnley clashes have been typically one-sided as, as, the, as the sort of the recent form table shows however let's start with with the supporters because uh, a tweet from Burnley's account on Monday I think it was saying that over 7,000 or close to 8,000 Burnley fans uh, are making the trip across the Pennines um, 
I got a bit of sticks for some reason for praising Burnley fans for saying that 7,800 fans is, is a fantastic effort. Some people can't be pleased. They just want, uh, they, they think because it's 40 minutes away that, that they should be bringing 40,000. But that's a cracking effort considering there's a train strike, considering ticket prices by all accounts were a little bit pricey as well. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a proper good effort. Yeah, it was like it was 30 to 32 pounds for season ticket holders. Uh, depending on we've got the whole upper tier is it the south stand yeah yeah and then the level two as well um yeah fans as you'll have heard from me down the years have become very disillusioned with trips to the etihad <laughs> uh, especially in the sean dice where i think <clears throat> i've been four times and i worked out the aggregate score is 17 2 so, <laughs> well, I'm just sick of Leroy Sane scoring a third goal and sticking three fingers up to the away crowd. Um, but it, I think that's the reason for the bit. For obviously, the quarter final does help a win, a win away from Wembley. Uh, I was distraught when we got City in the draw, especially the first two balls, and especially by ex Blackburn man Alan Shearer. I thought this is definitely a conspiracy to be had. Um, but fan, fans are generally. Whilst also downbeat from previous trips and obviously expecting a miracle, City are is the toughest away day in the land for me. There's some, there seems to be that some sort of I don't know magic of the cup in the air. Ex player goes to his old stomping ground with the playing style of the current manager and just maybe just might get a lucky break to to send his team through. Um, like you say, seven thousand eight hundred of us. It'll be it'll be a great day out. It's the evening kickoff, so plenty of time to get there and stuff. Um, I, I do think fans are generally more upbeat, and I say you know, I, I say it with cautious optimism, demanding of a better um, performance at the Etihad. But obviously, in years gone by, it's been ten men behind the ball, eleven if you include the keeper, just playing not to lose. Uh, whereas this time, I think company, we've already played United away in, in the Carabao Cup and that only finished 2-0. We had a hat full of chances that couldn't, we could have equalised. And obviously City, for me, is a slightly harder game. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we attack at a team that have absolutely nailed us to a cross in the last few years. I don't know what it's like for yourself. It's an intriguing game. It's an intriguing game. I'm just looking at who who was left in the competition at the time of the draw. Obviously, United, who I think were the, the sort of everybody wanted to avoid them, even City. Saying that, some City fans wanted to play them, which is lunacy and, and need sort of psychiatric help. Um, I think after Brighton, though, I'm looking at I'm going Burnley's probably the, the toughest footballing match. I know Fulham have done some fantastic stuff this season. However, I think if you get Fulham at home, it, it, it's potentially a, a, a sort of a... a predetermined result, Sheffield United, Blackburn, Grimsby, the other teams left in. So it's, it's by no means a simple a simple game. And, and you mentioned there the, the hashtag discourse surrounding it, company coming back to the Etihad, what, 2019 was when he left? Obviously, his last game was lift in the FA Cup. So there's, there's plenty of storylines there. And I think, above everything, it, it should be a decent football match. I, I'm interested from your point of view how you expect Burnley to play because you mentioned the United game. And, and I think... That is probably the only time so far this season because Burnley's FA Cup run has been uh, favourable. Um, obviously, you need to point that out. It's been you know decent ties and you've done very well to get here. But I was at the 
Ipswich replay in the, in the Turf Moor, I think it was, and a, a, a last-minute goal or something along those lines from Nathan Teller. Um, but anyway, you know, in the quarter-final of the FA Cup, it's an incredible achievement. But big game, big test. Is it going to be the same setup? do you reckon, that we've seen in the Championship? Ball dominant, heavy possession, trying to play that style of football? Or is there a little bit of pragmatism that was shown at Old Trafford that might come into play on Saturday? No, it'll be exactly the same as we've played all season, yeah. Um, we went to Old Trafford thinking, so we, we'd beaten, we beat Bournemouth in the FA Cup third round away from home a couple of weeks after that. So United was our first big, you know, wow, company's got to get his skates on him and see what he's really about. And for the first first half, from what I can remember, uh, United only really had one one key chance, which they, which they put away. Obviously, quality told on the day. Um, and then second half, Marcus Rashford scored uh, a, a wonderful solo goal, ran basically half the length of the pitch. In that time, we had Ashley Barnes, as he does, lashes at the ball way too early, missed an absolute sitter. Um, and we continued to play on the front foot. I think company's mantra wasn't, oh, we'll try and play out for a draw and then go to go straight to penalties. It was more of a here's your chance, boys, first time on the... Because at that point, we weren't obviously totally sure about promotion as we are now. So it was sort of that this might be your only chance to get some proper big game experience in, see see how you do. Um, you know, I, th- I think we impressed. Uh, we didn't show any signs of pragmatism, didn't show any, show any like, shithouse tactics, not, none of that. It was all just, like, straight nail on the head how he wants to play and... I was impressed. Um, obviously, City's a, a different test, I say. Um, but yeah, I expect us to come out all guns blazing, gung-ho, Kevin Keegan, Newcastle football, however you want to look at it. I'm, I'm excited for it. Obviously, the caveat to that is trudging home back to Salford Keys with a 7-0 loss under my belt. But I, either way, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens, yeah. Yeah, he knows how to play to the city listeners. Given United digs, that's what we uh, we love to we love to say. Um, right, well, we'll call it a day there. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, no worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. Another reminder: if you haven't already, hit follow, hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review. And until next time, it's been a pleasure. I've been Amos Murphy. We'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.